When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? What's the worst day of the week that gets us all depressed? M-O-N-D-A-Y-S-U-C-K-S Here comes more aggravation and a brand new week of stress. How are you doing? This is your good pal Dane Alves uh, with another episode of Monday Suck, show in which we do interviews, we talk about the news, we talk about movies, politics, get into pretty much any realm. But to start off things, I do have a special guest that I'm happy to have back on a part of Geek Vibes Nation. Actually, a couple of years ago when we first started, he was one of our first guests. But we have uh, Ernie Altbacker. Uh, he's a screenwriter, has worked on television shows like Spider-Man the Animated Series, Ben 10, uh, Static Shock, uh, he, and the Green Lantern Animated Series. He's well-versed as of being a part of uh, one of the main writers for the new DC animated movies, uh, the ones that started with, uh, I believe, Justice League Doom was the first one, and then it kind of went from there but uh ernie thank you so much for coming on the show man and um you know with uh your your busy schedule and everything that's going on with hush i'm glad that you were able to make time for us well thanks dane good to be back i didn't know it was one of the first that's pretty cool <laughs> yeah man uh geek fives live which we've been doing for about i want to say three maybe four years now that was our one show that we had, and now we have multiple shows, obviously. We had the – I think our first guests were uh, the, the Walds, uh, Eric and uh, Julia, and then we had Cal Dodd. I'm pretty sure you're the one right after that. So uh, I don't remember which movie at that time that was a part of the DC animated universe that we were talking about, but I'm happy to have you on to talk about uh, Batman Hush. Um, how are you doing, man? I'm pretty good. Uh, you know, I think it was for Justice League Dark, which was my first long form in the superhero um, genre for, for Warner Brothers. And um, yeah, this continuity actually starts in Flashpoint, right? I think it was Justice League Flashpoint, uh, and the first one was Justice League War, and I think they were like 12 or 13 I know he hates it when, when people say it, but uh, in the Tucker-verse for James Tucker, who kind of helms all of these. Oh, he doesn't want the uh, the credits and credentials? Like, uh, you know, everyone thinks about the Paul Dini and Bruce Timm DC Animated Universe. He should get all those credits for having such a great cast and good writers like yourself and also a well-crafted universe with a lot of stories that you guys have you know, uh, did your own thing with and also did a lot of the same narrative and combined everything. It's very impressive. Oh, yeah, I think so, too. I think he just doesn't like the name Tuckerverse, you know, because it it takes like an army to make one of these things. And uh, he's a down-to-earth person, you know, that uh, doesn't want to hog the credit. That's that that does a lot, though. That's awesome. Um, 
but you know, kind of, I guess, humor the audience uh, that don't know you as well. Obviously, I said you were a screenwriter, but like, you know, what what projects have you been a part of for DC, uh, their animated movies so far? Um, just give give them a little bit of knowledge about you and uh, you know what you're doing with Warner Brothers. Um, well, I've done three of those, uh, three of these that have, have, uh, made it out and that's Justice League Dark, uh, Teen Titans, The Judas Contract, and now Hush. Um, uh, I've also worked on Justice League Action, Green Lantern, the animated series. Uh, I did a show for Amazon that I quite liked called Nico and the Sword of Light. Uh, and um, I'm working on a show for Netflix called Legend Quest. Uh, that's a little bit of a younger audience. Uh, but, you know, started uh, working in cartoons with the Spider-Man animated series of the mid-'90s. Yes, sir. So I would, uh, you know, expect since you started off with Spider-Man and you're now – so immersed uh, with the writings of the DC uh, animated films, you're probably a comic book fan. How long has your fandom for comics been going on, Ernie? Actually, I've been collecting comics since I was about 10 years old, you know? So I usually try and keep it to just like one, one book a year now when I go to Comic-Con. But, uh, you know, I, I've, I've loved comics. Uh, I got way into uh the sci-fi and horror of the 50s were kind of my, my gateway in when I was reading that type of stuff, and that, that actually got me two superheroes, you know, but I like the sci-fi and horror stuff first. So you're talking about like, um, oh, man, I can't remember the name of the action, but the, the thing that introduced oh, like Bing Bang Foom and – Oh, yeah, I liked all that stuff, like creepy, eerie, fangory. Yes, yeah. You know. Absolutely, man. I mean, that's that's pretty awesome. Uh, what is it about – do you find it a challenge uh, taking some of these big comics that I know that you've probably gotten some, some hell from, from fans about adapting these big comic events into these animated movies like Judas Contract, like uh, Batman Hush? Do you just like to do that or – um, is it really about kind of like what story they have in mind for you and you just taking on a, a job or is it a combination of both? Well, you know, it's kind of a happy accident on uh, both Teen Titans, the Judas Contract and Batman Hush in that I really like the comics, you know, and then I got to work on them. But no, it's usually what they offer you. You don't get to pick. That makes sense. So if they're... And we will be talking a little bit about spoilers, guys, with uh, Batman Hush, so I just wanted to warn you, uh, if you haven't got a chance to watch it, uh, I don't know why you're really listening to this, with Ernie, go watch the movie. Uh, there's multiple platforms. You can purchase it on multiple things. Watch that, and then come back and listen to the interview. But um, I'm assuming that maybe it's a storyboard that you're presented, and then you put it and adapt it into a screenplay but if they wanted certain things, I, I'm, I'm assuming you probably didn't have a lot to do with um, changing up certain stuff within Hush itself. I'm trying not to, like, give it away yet if you, if you can't tell. 
Oh, well, you know, uh, no, I think I'd probably have to take an equal portion of blame. Um, and, you know, it doesn't start with the storyboards. It starts with an outline and then a first draft of the script, and then they'll start doing the storyboards. Uh, so you got to pitch your take. Problem with Hush, the problem, I love it, you know, but the, the problem is there's too much of a good thing. Twelve comics. It, it went over uh, over a year time frame, and we're only going to get – usually they say 72 minutes plus credits. turns out to be about 75. Um, so this one turned out, I think, 81 or 82, so they put some extra into it. But we're never going to get the entire story of Hush into 80 minutes, you know, so – we had to do some things, and uh, some of the radical ideas, you know, were accepted. Uh, I'm saying radical to some of the fans who disagree with the way the uh, the adaptation went, but there was just no conceivable way of doing, you know, when it comes out that it's like a 10-episode, hour-long live-action miniseries, I'm going to watch that show, but we did not have an option of doing that. Yeah, and you know what I don't understand is I, I don't think it's very fair because let's say, well, maybe it's, this is not the best example because how tumultuous the relationship is between fans and the DC Cinematic Universe, but when they go ahead and make liberties, or even the MCU for this matter, if they combine certain elements and make it make sense to the format of a film, you know, and they change aspects, kind of like what you guys did with the identity of Hush – to make it make sense towards the narrative of the story. I don't see that being a big, a big deal, but since you guys, I guess, are the animated platform, and even though you guys have expanded much more you know, continuity-wise compared to the films, the actual live-action films, there's still that backlash. There's going to be backlash, though, Ernie, for anything. There's not going to be everyone's 100% happy. I love the adaptation. And you guys definitely got me on who it was. I had no idea. I had my guesses. Uh, but I think what you guys ended up doing was very creative. Well, thank you. Um, you know, the, it seems like the, the fans fall into a couple different camps of several. Um, there's the ones that will give it a chance with the, with the changes. And then there's ones that you're never going to get that wanted a shot for shot. But sometimes those are the same people that complain, like when the Watchmen comes out, that it is a shot for shot. And it's like, well, it was kind of boring because I knew everything that was going to happen, you know? Um, and, and then uh, the people that haven't read the book, they're totally okay with the story because it makes sense. You know, the, the thing is, the, in this continuity, we couldn't do hush. There's a couple of couple of things, you know, that I would like to clear up. One of them being, like, well, how come Oracle's not in it? Well, the Killing Joke isn't part of the universe, right? So that means Batgirl's still around and uninjured. She can't be Oracle, and Tim Drake doesn't exist in the universe. So we couldn't just introduce him and introduce the concept of hush and make it this rogues gallery it just would have fallen in on itself 
Absolutely. And I, my biggest thing is, you know, I've been a comic collector since I was very, very young. And I remember collecting the issues of Hush. I mean, this is Jim Lee and Jeff Loeb working together. And I, I want to say this is Jeff Loeb's like last big project for DC before he moved over to Marvel and obviously became big in the entertainment aspect of the television stuff. But I went and bought them every, uh, you know, I think it was every month or however, whenever the issues came out themselves. I understand the concept of adaptation. Maybe it's because I've, I've gone to film school. I've, I've been around this whole entire industry, and I know that you gotta, you gotta make changes. Um, some fans are gonna have a problem with it, regardless, because it's not exactly like it. Like you said, even if you did a shot for shot, someone would say it was boring and uncreative. So it's very hard to make anyone happy. Um, but for me, even the story with Hush, I, I maybe I'm uh, maybe I'm, I'm crazy, but like with the comic books, I kind of was as a fan. I remember being a little bit let down finding out that Hush was Tommy Elliot because it seemed like it was too obvious. And I really liked the idea of Jason Todd and how they presented it, and then the clayface turn and obviously the change up. But you guys kind of went down. Um, a similar way. You didn't have Jason Todd a part of it, obviously. There was that reference when Joker asks about him um, and gets his, his ass kicked. Um, you know, I think it was Jim Gordon who smacks him when he asked him about, like, which Robin's alive or whatever. But uh, j- let's, let's kind of go into this uh, a bit because, I mean, the one thing that you guys are able to do really well, and that's it's due to the cast that you have and everything, is the interactions between Batman and Selina were awesome. And I love this concept throughout the narrative. If not only is it like a love story, as weird as that seems, between the two of them, but Batman throughout it, this is another story of which he really goes in his head of, should I cross the line? And there's that spot where he almost does that with Joker, with Jim Gordon. And at the end, Catwoman makes the decision for him, and that inevitably causes them not to be with each other anymore. Because, yeah, she took actions into her own hands. She didn't try to help Riddler, but if they stuck around, Ernie, they would have died. There's no way, and she doesn't understand that. I think it's a lot of a lot of people have this problem. I know I'm throwing a lot at you, but a lot of people have this problem with Batman that why doesn't he just take out the Joker? If he keeps on putting him in Arkham, he keeps on coming out, killing so many people. Like, he's so about justice, it almost blinds him to the fact that he's causing these psychos to be able to go off and keep on killing people. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And you know what? I'm I'm not sure where I fall on it. And but that's what makes Batman great is he has this ironclad code, okay? And that's what make Batman and Catwoman, Bruce Selina kind of this this intriguing couple is because her code is very fluid. All right? So Batman Bruce kind of pulls her back from doing worst impulses whereas she allows him to have a life because he's just going being a vigilante and the only end is death so she kind of wants more for him more for them and um and that's the only way he's going to get it is if he lets that in so yeah we kind of like pulled that to the forefront and made it a frame and I'm a boy, I'm really going to date myself with this reference, but we were kind of calling it the fat cat nine and a half weeks. You can leave your cow on, you know? (laughs) 
I like that a lot. Um, I, I think that you guys did a really good job of portraying uh, Dick Grayson. And also I love I, – I don't know if you personally wrote this. I'm assuming you did. But the little scene and interaction with Damien where he's basically telling his dad that he needs to go and get a contraceptive and, like, make sure that he's safe. And, and, and just how adult Damien is and how he's telling his father, who we all know is Batman, what to do and just belittling him for dating a criminal. Um, and Dick Grayson kind of being that, that annoying little brother that likes to get underneath your skin. I love the portrayal of both those characters. Well, you know, when I got to first write for Sean Maher, who does uh, Dick Grayson and Nightwing, I just thought he really brought so much to the role and and I, you know I just he's one of my favorites so like each one of his lines I'm like all right man I know he's gonna bring his a game I gotta bring it, um, my a game to uh, to Nightwing um, thought he got like a little bit too beat up uh, easily in in the in the trilogy and I, I think of him as Batman 2.0 like he's better than Batman because he doesn't have all of the baggage of, of Batman's creation, but he has all of his skills or will have all of his skills. You know, I consider him like the second best fighter. Um, Absolutely. Sorry, and he's what, also did I, probably... did, I, did I not? Oh, did I not? No, I was going to say, and... no, sorry. no, 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 no. I, I, just, I was just going to agree with you and, and say that I think Dick Grayson is more agile than Batman. I mean, I know that people will come at me for that statement. I'm not saying his martial arts is better than, than Bruce, but he's learned from Bruce. He's learned from Slade. You know, he's got all these different people that are pretty masterful and he's also, you know, an acrobatic uh, expert, you know, so we're geeking out right now, but it's it's pretty cool since I'm geeking out with the person that wrote this. So um, I have on here and I guess I'll just ask you this. I don't know if you know this or anything, but one thing that always drives me crazy with Gotham, do they not like, do they not believe in the death penalty? Like, is that not a thing that happens? Was in their city, like oh, after uh, so, you know. You know what? Is there We're a clause getting, around yeah, that? <laughs> you know, uh, well, this is yeah. I I I guess they don't, you know, because everybody goes to Arkham. Uh, but uh, yeah, this was the crux of your question: was Batman? You know, should he take out the Joker? And I think it makes yes. him a little bit less inter- less interesting. If, if he does, if he allows himself to, to break his code, because it, it makes it much harder for him to operate. But you can't discount that there's going to be more of a body count by Batman's way of doing things. Yeah, I mean, what's going to happen once – and it's not just the Joker. It's all those psychos yes, that he's been a part of. You know, even like Poison Ivy, I love the story itself. Originally, you know, we got the we get to see how powerful Ivy can be with her her mind control. I mean, she's able to take over Superman, and even though there's that hesitation with with Clark being able to maintain himself, and obviously it took Lois falling off the building to get him out of that state of mind. You know, he's still or she's still a very powerful foe, and I don't think. Before Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee kind of brought that out, I don't think that was displayed that much in the comics. No, they they did some great stuff, you know. Absolutely, and I guess I guess we can start talking about it. 
I, I want to ask you, uh, and like I said, spoiler warning, guys, if you don't want to know who Hush is or, or know the information of that stuff, you know, just tune out now. Go check this out. It's, extre- it's well worth it, and then come back and listen. But was it always going to be Edward Nigma, or did you guys have multiple people you thought about? Because for a long time, I thought it was a Joker creating an alternate ego of his. It was so convenient he was in the same place. Like, maybe he didn't even know about this, you know, version of himself. Like, he didn't control it or anything like that. But it ended up being Edward Nigma, the story of him having cancer, going to the Lazarus Pit, gaining all these extra, you know, strengths and everything that the Lazarus Pit does. Also, with more insanity, like it did the Rajal Ghoul. Uh, he comes back. He has Clayface under his control, pretending to be him, basically the old version of him. And he's now Hush, who knows that Batman is Bruce Wayne, kills Tommy Elliot, takes him out of the whole entire thing. Uh, what was your choice to make Edward Nigma um, Hush? And were like, were there any other choices beforehand? Well, you know, um, the the great thing about Hush is is that um, they had a lot of time to do stuff to set up things like Tommy Elliot. Right, but oh, jeez, but um, but the thing is, uh, you know, when I was reading Hush too, I mean, like you, I was like, well, it can't be the new guy, can it? You know, it can't be Thomas Elliot, and it it was, you know. So they like everybody was was okay with switching that up, but the thing is, there were all of these red herrings in the comics of other people that it could be to throw you off the scent that it was the first guy that we met in the, in the, in issue one, uh, the friend who comes back, uh, and, and we've never heard of. So we, you know, basically wanted to look at all of those red herrings and then pick, pick the one that it would make the most sense for. And, they have that end scene with the Riddler where he was working with Tommy Elliot. And, uh, you know, we just kind of figured out, um, or I figured out and then I pitched it to him of how it could just be Edward Nigma. And it seemed to make sense to everybody. And with the time constraint that we couldn't really do it, as Tommy Elliot and set him up properly, we went to a villain that everybody's heard of, but nobody really suspects. I like that. I like that a lot because, and I mean, you guys kind of enforced this uh, when Batman was, you know, going at it with the Riddler, that he was a B-rate villain that thought that he was on the same level as people like the Joker and a lot of the other bigger characters and he is like wait until they find out what you did and how you manipulated them they're going to kill you with Bane and Ivy and Joker and uh, it's just a very interesting um, way to go about it I mean honestly if they Hush would be a very hard story to adapt in film uh, like live action because especially like if you're trying to go like the the, the comp book you know all the characters you guys displayed a lot of different villains that kind of like kind of sometimes over clutters a film if you try to present too many um, antagonists within there. But with your idea of doing the Riddler, 
I kind of like that. You know, I I wouldn't mind seeing them adapt it that way. They would obviously have to introduce the Riddler beforehand, but it gives him meaning. It doesn't have it. So it's just that, Oh, it's, it's the new guy that just showed up, you know, that whole entire thing. You guys kind of changed it up and I actually really appreciate it. Um, it my, like I said, Riddler wasn't even in my head. I'm like, either they're going to show up Jason Todd, I guess, and go with that, or once Tommy died, at least in the uh, in the film, or possibly it's going to be the Joker. But the Riddler, I thought it was a very, very cool way of doing it. Uh, here's a question to you. When it comes down to, you could say DC in general, but or, or just kind of put it to Batman. Like, who is your favorite character to write for, and why is it Batman? <laughs> And why is it Batman? I'm just kidding. You could pick whoever, but I'm just I'm biased, obviously. Even though I've never written for him. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, Batman is number one, but I think he might be tied for me with John Constantine. I like both of those characters a lot. Uh, and yeah. then uh, Hal Jordan's way in there too. And I have a soft spot for Guy Gardner. I love it, man. I always thought that uh, Mark Wahlberg would play a great Guy Gardner if they did a Green Lantern film. <laughs> Do you think that he could pull off that that douchebagatry to a to a wonderful level? Oh, absolutely, he could. Coming from Boston, come on, it would be great. He knows absolutely. he knows douchebags. He could he could get into that mindset very easily. Hey, I'm Mark Wahlberg. I'm trying to be intense, but I'm really really pissed off. I don't even know why. You could just do that the whole entire time. <laughs> I think he would do a better he would do a better job than that. <laughs> hey Batman, hey Batman, what's your problem? Why are you gonna punch me in the face or something? Um, yeah, <laughs> you gotta have that scene though. If if they ever introduce Guy into the DC universe, he's gotta interact with Batman. He's gotta get mad at him, and Batman's gotta knock him out with one punch. It's gotta happen, or this dork will be <laughs> very very angry. Oh Lord. Um, so yeah, this kind of brings me up to, um, asking you about the future and, uh, what you're going to be doing with DC, uh, whatever you can tell me, but like, first of all, and just like, what would you like to do? You know, you being a comic book fan, uh, knowing a lot of the DC comics, there's stuff that, you know, you guys have obviously not adapted yet. What would you like to be a part of, whether it be something like a certain series from Superman, Green Lantern, or like, uh, an event thing like Kingdom Come or Crisis? Oh, well, you know, I'd uh, love to be a, a part of any sort of crisis thing. Um, I hear they're making the live-action version, so that should be interesting. There is a book that just came out maybe a year and a half, two years ago uh, that I love called The War of Jokes and Riddles. I would love mm-hmm. to do that one. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, there's so many great ones. You know, I, I can I can tell you that uh, I, I, given enough time, they're going to get done, you know, because they love having great source material and people knowing it going into those movies. Now, are those people going to be happy? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it will be some sort of it will be some sort of adaptation. The thing is, this being its own continuity, this is a version of Hush. And you can look forward to other versions of Hush, you know. Um, so uh, there you go. You know, it'll 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 come it'll come around again. Maybe it'll be live action. 
could be a movie, could be, uh, you know, a, a, a series. And, and I'll, I'll be watching it with everybody else. <laughs> Absolutely. Even though you've been doing screenwriting for a long time, you know how to adapt um, comics to animated film and animated projects pretty well, I would say. Uh, you've been doing it for such a while. Um, would a project like Christ and Infinite Earth, besides it being daunting when it comes to trying to get that long, huge story in like a less than two-hour format – Someone as a writer, is it, is it daunting or, or challenging to be able to take on something with so many characters and trying to adapt it to make sense, to, you know, to put forth for an animated film? Well, I thought they did a great job um, with uh, – they did a, an animated movie, Crisis on – God, was it Crisis on Two Earths? Earth X. Is that, is that one? I think it is Christ on Two Earths. Right. Now and, I'm um, looking it up. Yeah. Uh, you know, and some of the, some of the other, I, I would think, I would think that you would have to um, roll into that. You know, uh, it would have to at least be a two-parter. Maybe it's a three-parter. Uh, they've never made a three-parter, but maybe that's, you know, this one. Um I don't know. You would have to set up a lot of different things to do crisis up, but do they make the one shot version? Maybe, you know, um, I think there'd be a lot of heat for what you would have to lose just like with hush. And it's even a bigger daunting task to do that. That's what I figured. And, I mean, one way to do it, like you said, is trying to make a multiple, you know, maybe an hour and 45 film, part one, part two, whatever. It's it, it, the, the concept, though, of instead of it being the pre-crisis or post-crisis versions, if you had maybe the Bruce Tim characters meeting the, uh, the I think you said the Trevor-verse? Is, is that, he doesn't like, is it Trevor? Oh, the, I think I screwed that up. The, the Tucker, the Tucker-verse, James Tucker. Tucker! There you go. The Tucker-verse and the Tim-verse kind of like meeting each other in this multiple concept. I'm talking about way too much now. I, I can't even believe what they're trying to do on the CW, like you were talking about, now that they have Kevin Conroy's coming in to play an old man Bruce Wayne, and they have, um, they're trying to get Linda... Uh, Carter to play Wonder Woman in it, and Brandon Routh's coming back to play Kingdom Come Superman. It's very, very big in concept, and I I applaud them for trying that. So whether it be a live action on television, sometime in the movies hopefully, or what you guys do animated, I think it would be a very cool concept to adapt. Kingdom Come is obviously another one too. Yeah, and aren't they – I think they're going to do a crossover between all of the – would the correct term CW be the MCU? But this, yeah, all the oh. CW shows they're going to do something, right? Yeah, that's actually what I was talking about. They got besides everyone from that, they got uh, like Brandon Routh's coming back to play uh, Superman. Um, they got Linda Carter playing. You know, they're, uh, what's his name? Um, oh, okay, okay. So that's the thing. I the, thought it was like a new show that was coming out. See, look at this. I mean, like it's, sometimes I just don't know what's being planned at all. And hey, that's you're uh, a busy man. Another, yeah, that's a that's another tidbit 
for the people that that like kind of look in a little deeper to these movies, you know, when they say something like, um, oh, you know, they did this romance because of, uh, I think Tom King did a thing where Batman and Catwoman almost got married or something. That was like a year, year and a half ago. You got to remember, I was writing this and working out the story three years ago. And there was wow. romance in the in the Hush movie, uh, in, in yeah. the Hush comics, you know? So to say that we're getting something because they did it on Avengers or, uh, you know, something like that. Uh, I think they, they mentioned Doctor Strange, the movie that came out three months before Justice League Dark for some reason. And I'm like, and, you know, I was writing that two and a half years ago. I probably couldn't have known what they were thinking, you know? Um, Ernie, you know that those people that complain like that are just like, they're the same people that make a front, like they get mad about something getting changed in a comic book and they don't realize it actually happened in the comics. And they're like, oh, okay. So, I mean, between them and then the fanboys that are never going to be happy no matter what, it's so small and minute, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you know, there's little there's little stuff. Um, you know, if you want to get if you want to get worked up uh, about about stuff, you can. I mean, I think people I I think every we knew that we were going to get some heat for changing the, vil- the villain, right? Because that's a big thing. But there was a lot of talk about uh oh, they changed Killer Croc to Bane. And I'm like well, how does that matter that much as far as the that's, story ugh. thing? You, you know, it's just a little bit. And and they had done a Batman Killer Croc fight one or two movies early or in Hell to Pay. So they just didn't want to repeat themselves. You know, as, as I said, it's its own continuity, its own universe, you know, with its own rules. So they wanted Bane to get a little... Screen time. I don't blame you. I like Bane. Bane's a cool character, you know? Uh, people are just ridiculous. I deal with them on a daily basis, and I try to deal with them accordingly, but I don't always do that so well. So I, I have these things called Dane rants that I do, Ernie, where I just kind of you know, make reference to different fandoms and people and just let it all out. You, sh- you should try it sometimes. Record yourself on Facebook. It'll either be really, really therapeutic or just kind of um, shameful afterwards, but it's fun regardless, you know? Well, you know what? Um, I mean, I think everybody, everybody gets to have their opinion, but mostly, and I do this myself too, right? Where it's like, if you have something that you saw at a certain age uh, or read between 10 and 15, it's all about what it made you feel, not if yep. it's actually really kick-ass. Like me, I was watching reruns of the original Trek, and it's still my favorite. Now, this new show on CBS, the production design, the, the effects, even the acting, everything is better about it. But you will not get me <laughs> to admit that. I just love the old Trek. That was when I was 10 and 8 watching it going, this is so bad at. But if I look in and uh, and pick apart the story, like, 
why is Kirk leaving the important artifact that they need? Oh, and now it's stolen. And now for two commercial breaks, they are chasing it, and it was a really stupid mistake. You know, like, but it doesn't matter because of how I was feeling. So everybody gets to have their own opinion, and, uh, you know, we're all fans, and, and I'm psyched that they watch it, even if they're pissed off afterwards. Fine, you know, like uh, it's it's there, and maybe in the future everybody comes together and goes, you know, check out this universe over here that they made ten or fifteen years ago. This thing's awesome. It's like thirteen, fifteen movies, whatever. I think that's definitely going to be the outcome, and one of the reasons why I think that you guys have such a strong foundation is your cast that you have for these films. I really think that. I know they have Batwoman coming out. If they ever were to do, if they ever were to need a live action Batman on the CW platform or on their new streaming platform, I think Jason O'Mara would be able to transition from the animated world to live action world as that character fairly well. And I think that you guys, I mean, Rain Wilson, as I know he's had a small part in this, but seeing him in the past, him as Lex Luthor is brilliant. That to me is brilliant casting. Um, you know, do you have a favorite cast member among these? Uh, maybe you're friends with them, so I shouldn't ask you your favorite, but one that really brings to life some of the words of the, of the characters that you're uh, interpreting. And um, are you? Do you ever like sit in for the uh, the sessions of the recording? Uh, only sometimes. You know, usually you're off doing something else, and they they got to do that. Keep a small thing there so they they have the actor's attention but I love Jason O'Mara he brings it and you know he is a live action guy more than an animated guy I mean if you hear him talk a lot of people don't realize that you know he's from Ireland it's like I don't know how they would cast you I think it was from uh, a show that I actually watched uh, Vegas or something like that where he was a lawman and I wouldn't guess that he was from Ireland, and come on, he's in the Man in the High Castle. Um, I mean, he was in Agents of Shield, obviously. Great death scene. That's really cool. Uh, but um, he's a fine actor. Yeah, I'm consistently impressed with the the talent they get in there for um, for, for the people. I mean, in in, uh, in Justice League Dark, they had a villain, and I was like. Oh, you know, um, this is a lot of like I'll destroy you fools, you, you know. And and then they and then they get um, Alfred Molina to play it, and he just brought so much to it. And, and I was embarrassed. I'm like, I can't believe I made you say fools, I'll destroy you all. And he was like, Oh, fools, I'll destroy you all. Put my kids through private school. That's okay. I love that. You know. <laughs> I mean, he was, they they come in and they're they're great and it's it's uh the kind of the stunt casting of live action stars but then there's these lockdown pro animation people doing the rest of the things and they're so good they're they're just so good and they bring so much to to the lines it's it's always better than what what i've written yeah it's going back to just leave dark matt ryan being able to reprise his role as um, as uh, John Constantine and Rose, oh, if you guys so have good. Rosario Dawson, 
as Wonder Woman. She's great as well, Jerry O'Connell. You said Alfred Molina. I actually saw him on Broadway playing Tebia in Fiddler on the Roof in, I think, 2005. He's an incredible actor. Um, well, here's a question about this because you, you've seen a difference. You take someone like a Philomar or a Cal Dodd, um, you know, someone that's known for specifically voice acting, you put them in a booth. Is it different than when you get someone like a Jason O'Mara who's more of a, a live-action person or a Rosario Dawson? Is there any difference in them trying to bring their voice to the character, if that makes sense? Um, you know what? The, the, the cream rises to the top in both of those disciplines. Um, I, they, they just come as professionals. And, and most of them are incredibly prepared, even if they only have a limited amount of lines, depending upon the movie. You know, like Rosario Dawson didn't have too many lines, say, in Justice League Dark, but of course, Wonder Woman Bloodlines is coming out. And I would assume that, uh, you know, she's going to be in that. Like, all of them get their, uh, their due. You know, uh, as as we go through and, and spotlight the the different characters, but uh, it it's really wonderful to see how seriously they can take it. Yeah, it's got to be awesome. I, I have to think that Mark Hamill's going to be someone that would be very interesting to watch in a booth uh, for whatever voice, regardless if it's a Joker or whoever. Uh, just just knowing him as a performer and knowing that he's so diverse in both live acting and also voice acting. So it's it's a very curious concept. I think I've held you here and I appreciate it so much uh, longer probably than, you know, what, what I should have because you're a very busy person. Love to have you back the next time you do another um, animated film, maybe talk about it again. Uh, can you give us any info of stuff that's going on in the future? No, they will beat me with a sack of nickels oh, no. if I do anything like that. But uh, I think, what, at Comic-Con they announced that there was going to be some, some more films coming out. Uh, there's a Superman at the end of the year. Um, and there's the Wonder Woman thing. And uh, I don't know anything about them, really, uh, other than I, I bet you – a bunch of people work very hard on them and they're hoping that the fans love them. Absolutely. Very, very safe of you to say that, but I understand completely. You know, I wouldn't want any <laughs> of their, the Warner brothers executives coming and taking you out, especially while you're on the phone with me, Ernie, but either way, Ernie, thank you so much for coming on, man. And like I said, love to have you back in the future. Thank you for being a part of Monday suck and talking about DC and Batman hush. Well, thanks a lot, Dane. Pleasure to come on the show. And, uh, yeah, hopefully I'll get on some more or, uh, if, if I do things in the future. All right? I'm sure you will, and we'll have you back. All right, thanks. Have a good uh, rest of the show there. Thank you, sir. All right, guys, that was Ernie Altbacker, the story writer, screenwriter, for some of my favorite DC animated films. He's also been a part of the creative teams with a lot of the stuff uh, post-Flashpoint, Justice League War, 
I think I said Justice League Doom. That was incorrect. Whatever. You know, I make mistakes, but I'm glad that Ernie was able to come on, talk about Hush. Very big fan of that. Love Justice League Dark. Um, he's done quite a few fun, fun films. But uh, we'll have him on again in the future. Like I said, he was one of our first guests that we had on Geek Vibes, on Geek Vibes Live a couple years back. So it's crazy to think about that. That's 2017. It was the beginning of it. Wow. So, yeah, it was about three years back. That's that's nuts when you think about that, people. We've been doing this for a while. I'm proud of everyone, uh, whether it be me or, or Juwan, obviously, Joel, Nick, Christopher Brotherway, Patton, the amazing Kanan, uh, Tia, just the whole crew. You know, it's a lot of fun interviewing people. But anyways, that's not what you guys are here to listen to. You guys are here to listen to me break down some topics. So I wanted to kind of – I'll start off by saying that Matrix 4 is a very interesting concept. Now, it got completely drowned out because the day they decided to release this from Warner Brothers, uh, Marvel and Sony decided to let us know that their custody battle is not going well and Spider-Man was going with Sony, and they were getting a divorce. So let me first uh, talk about that one right there, the Matrix. Um Actually, really quick, I'm going to have you guys listen to something, uh, if I could find it. Here's a plug for one of our other shows that we do with a little bit of background music. So before we go into the news, here's a little, uh, here's a little intro for another show that you guys should check out. If you guys like wrestling, check out Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Every Wednesday, 7 p.m. EST, Dane and Christopher break down the last week in wrestling for WWE, AEW, NXT, and New Japan. Definitely check it out. Like I said, it's at 7 p.m. EST here on Blog Talk Radio. And for any other format on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and SoundCloud, check us out at geekfivesnation.com. All right. Oh, sorry about that. i got to be honest with you. I had to go with number one. I really did the whole entire time, and I did not want to have to do that while I was on air with you people. So there was a little promotion, a little cheap plug, but hey, you gotta do, you got to do what you got to do. So anyways, so yeah, Matrix 4. <sighs> I don't know how I feel about this. I know that one of the uh, Wachowski sisters is doing this, so I'm pretty sure the other one isn't, but they're doing it with one of the creative partners that was involved in the last several films. Um, my whole thing with the Wachowskis is I don't think, personally, they've made a better movie since The Matrix. I like the second Matrix. I think it had a lot of good things about it. Third one, not so much. I have no idea what the fuck happened in that movie. I can, I can tell you scenes from the second one. I can tell you quite a few amount of scenes from the second one. Third one, like I said, not so much. Um, I thought that Cloud Atlas was very uh, daunting. Of a, we've, we've had that word uh, tonight a couple times, but that was a lot to try to do. 
And I don't know exactly if it was accomplished, but it was a very interesting film. I liked Speed Racer. I did. I never saw Jupiter Ascending because it just looked terrible. Um, Toilet Girl and Dog Boy. Um, so to me, personally, and I, well, they did, I believe they actually did do um, Viva Vendetta, if I'm not mistaken. So Viva Vendetta, Speed Racer, Matrix 2. I put on. I would put Matrix at one level, V right underneath it, and maybe, like I said, Matrix Two and and Speed Racer is pretty much the same, and then everything else they've ever done. And I'm not trying to down them, but I'm just saying if you're saying, all right, we got, we have Trinity coming back, we got Neo coming back. I don't know if I'm excited based on who is directing it. And I hope that they don't try to do what a lot of people are doing, which works for them in pretending the other movies didn't happen. You've got to go with what you have. Now, I remember we had a project that was being announced about them using Michael B. Jordan in a new Matrix movie, and I don't think that was a part of the same type of concept. I think it's a separate, um, although I could be wrong. I have no idea. And... Um, I remember Michael B. Jordan was was proposed as the the son of Prometheus. If if for whatever reason if Prometheus is not in this installment, going with the concept of having Michael B. Jordan kind of uh, take over for Prometheus and get trained by Neo, that's a very intriguing concept. But then again, I have no idea that they're going to cross. The fact that I think I believe it's Carrie Ann Moss is Trinity. And then they have, of course, Keanu Reeves coming back. That's very good. Keanu is doing extremely well for himself. Uh, he has reinvented himself as an action star, um, and I really like him and stuff. So there's in fiction, basically. Very interesting. Going back to The Matrix, very interesting. Color me intrigued, but I don't know how I feel about it as a whole. We'll have to wait and see exactly what happens, Um, which is a very cop-out statement, but I'm just saying there are things that are going against this film. There are things that make me excited about this film, so I need to see more, maybe a trailer. Let's get to the big stuff, guys. All right. Should I bitch about Sony, or should I talk about some of the stuff that happened at – no, no, I'm not going to bitch about Sony. I'm going to bitch about – should I bitch about Marvel or talk about the positive things? Actually, let me down Marvel so I can bring them back up with some of their announcements at D23 because uh, not really Marvel. Disney and their dealings with what's going on with Spider-Man I think are a bit ridiculous. I think the demands that they put on Sony at the end of this deal uh, to re-up it was something that I don't think any major business <laughs> would wanted to do. Um I'm trying to think – I'm trying to relate it towards something else because the thing about it is as fans of the MCU, as fans of Marvel, we can kind of block out our judgment. Now, what I find kind of funny – well, not really funny, but weird in a way, if you look about the James Gunn incident, which obviously James said some stupid stuff in the past. It was jokes. Shit happens. It got brought up into the future. Marvel already knew about it. James Gunn already addressed it. Alan Horn made a big thing once the public made knowledge of it, you know, acted like he didn't know, and then they fired James Gunn. Luckily, cooler heads were to prevail. 
and James is now going to be doing both Suicide Squad, which is awesome, and then the new Guardians as well. So that's good. It was a bad situation. But if you look at the stuff that he wrote, regardless of what time he did it, you know, oh, it was 10 years ago and people weren't, it wasn't the same. It was still disgusting and some really, really fucking gross shit. Pedophilia shit, rape jokes, you know, just over the line, dirty stuff. And obviously it was for a reaction. I mean, there's comedians that would work it into a bit that could probably work some of it into it. But still, very reaction based, not thinking about consequences fucking 10 years from now. Why I say this and bring this up is that Marvel fans, when James Gunn, they didn't care about the statement, but they wanted Alan Horn and even Kevin Feige's head on a fucking stick when that happened. And there was petitions against Marvel because James Gunn was no longer going to be doing the Guardians movie. And let me say, Guardians 2 wasn't that good. It really wasn't. Uh, Well, my opinion of it, at least. First one was one of my favorites in my top five. Second one, no, it's not that I don't want James Gunn to come back. That's, that's bullshit. I do. I'm just saying, in this situation, where Sony is completely getting fucked by Disney and, and the whole entire business deal, because Sony's not willing to, I guess, play ball by giving up their biggest character, someone that's even bigger than James Bond, their second character, and what the fuck does Sony have after that? You guessed it, Men in Black and fucking Ghostbusters, and those are doing great for them. After all their bullshit with, with Andy Pascal and the email hacks and finding out how financially in crumbles everything is, you know, they want, they're now petitioning against Sony and saying that they're being pieces of shit. Well, let me lay down the facts for you, as I try to do, um, and hopefully you won't take a blind eye and just, la, 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 Marvel, blah, 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 they're the best. Because I don't think that most places would do this. If you are a business company and you're a pretty big business company and you decide that you have something that can benefit this bigger company and you can both prosper from it, and what you decide to do for the next couple of years of this bigger company using your product to benefit both companies is that if they, the bigger company, uses that thing themselves and exploits it and gets people to know about it more, and, you know, they make the money off of that. Now, on top of that, they already make money for stuff involved with that, like advertisement-based stuff. So if they're, if this product has, I don't know, action figures, okay, why don't we just fucking do it like this? Here's the thing. Disney, the big company, Sony. Sony's not doing good. Sony's doing terrible. But still, Spider-Man is their biggest franchise. Now, I know that people will say, oh, they haven't – they've made the most money with Disney. That is very true. That might be very, very true. But here's the thing. It's not like the, – the film that's made the least is Spider-Man 2. It's still made $752 million. That's not a bad chunk of change. That and I believe Bond are pretty much their only big lucrative uh, characters. So – that is why Spider-Man is very important to them. So they make this deal. You know, Amazing Spider-Man, just the second one dudded. Instead of Sony trying to recover it, just like they did after Spider-Man 3, they said, fuck it. They work out with Disney. They want a kid version of Spider-Man. And here's the thing, if you didn't know this. 
the MCU, before it existed, Marvel was having some financial issues. And they were selling off their IPs in the late 90s, early 2000s to different, you know, uh, to different um, production companies. Uh, that's why Universal technically has the rights to Namor for any movies that are called Namor the Submariner and have him as the main character. They are the one who own the rights to that. Same thing with the Hulk. Uh, that Ed Norton Hulk was before technically the uh, you know Marvel Studios existed. It was still a part of the building block, and it was produced by Universal and also produced, I believe, by Disney. Not 100% sure on that one. Get back to me. Uh, or yell at me in the comment section. doesn't matter. You can do either or. So they sold Sony the cinematic rights to Spider-Man, uh, just like they sold the X-Men rights to Fox. Now they have those back because they bought out Fox Pictures because Fox was condensing and didn't want to have an entertainment Chapter, they were just going to go down to news and sports. So there's that. Sony wasn't going to give up Spider-Man. What they worked out, they were having financial woes. They want Spider-Man to be bigger than he was in the past. So what they had was this deal where, hey, Marvel, if they want to bring out Spider-Man toys every time that, you know, if Disney wants to produce toys every time that, you know, um, Sony makes a movie, they make all the money off of it. Disney does. They own the merch. They own action figures. They own anything like that. Comic books. That's all Disney. So any type of advertisement-based thing, Disney made the money. Disney made the money when Spider-Man was in any of their films. Now, like I said, the flip side, the MCU has Spider-Man. They're showing off him. He doesn't have like the negative like taint, taintedness, if you will, of the Sony concept. When it goes back to Sony, everyone thinks MCU, which is very good and beneficial, I would say, for Sony and Spider-Man. Also, Marvel got, I believe it was 5% of the first four weeks, the first four, the first four major box office weeks uh, of the box office itself overall. So they're able to do that. They make all the merch. They have all the merch all the merch rights. Now, they weren't contributing as paying for the Sony films. They were just working with them. They also didn't want anything to do with any of the other Sony, like Spider-Man character films, and didn't want them interacting with Tom Holland's. So your Tom Hardy Venom, your Michael Morbius starring uh, Jared Leto, your Craven movie, uh, the Spider-Verse, Into the Spider-Verse, with Shamika Moore as, uh, whatchamacallit, Miles Morales. No interaction with Tom Holland's Spider-Man. But they wanted, you know, like I said, they wanted that 5% of the openings for Spider-Man himself. And they wanted to basically control him, mainly with Kevin Feige, which is good. Uh, now the new deal comes around. They wanted 50%. They wanted from 5% to 50% of overall box office. Not just the first four weeks, but the overall box office. Now what they were going to do for this is put up 50% of the, you know, the costs of the film itself. So they would front money to produce a film, which is beforehand they weren't. So now, in their concept, in their mind, oh, and they want to control, which probably wouldn't have been a bad thing, uh, which Lord Miller are technically set to do, but they wanted Kevin Feige to control all the other smaller Spider-Man entities like Venom. So Spider-Man would be in their films, Marvel makes some money. Disney makes some money. The big mouse gets richer. 
Uh, Spider-Man has his films in, in Sony. They make 50%, but they end up you know, paying for 50% of the costs to make it, but they make 50% of the box office total. So if it makes a billion dollars, they get 500000 Uh They also make the action figures, all the merch, the comic books that come out that, are, that involve the, the movie. They make all that money. So Sony is basically splitting their biggest character, the one that is basically keeping them afloat, because we know that Sony's been doing not too well, that and Bond, which we know all the fucking tumultuous bullshit with James Bond, you know. Um, and uh, they wanted their cake, they wanted to eat it, and they wanted more. So Sony didn't want to do that. So they offered them and countered and said, how about 3070? And Marvel said no. And Sony said, fuck this. We have all these characters that we're building. Maybe we can work out something in the future. We ain't going to work out anything now. Let's just deal with this. Pack up our shit. Bring Tom Holland. Establish a movie that's technically in the MCU, but not clarify upon it. And let him interact with all these other characters that we're developing. That Lord and Miller, at least when it comes to the front. Look, if Lord and Miller were doing Spider-Man... Like, you know, into the Spider-Verse, doing Venom, kind of interacting with that. And they weren't with Tom Holland beforehand. And if they had more secret projects that they were doing for Sony beforehand, I really want to think that they are now going to be ushered in to do all this stuff. Now, that doesn't mean that I want John Watts to leave for the third Spider-Man. I think we should have him on the third Spider-Man. I think that makes a lot of sense. But Lauren Miller decided to do a huge movie. Like, we have a trilogy that ends with Spider-Man. And maybe it rolls him into – now, what do I – I have no idea what they're going to do with the events of the post credit scene after uh, – not Homecoming, but um, Far From Home. Spoiler warning. Obviously, everyone knows who Spider-Man is. J. Jonah Jameson was there who outed him. So I don't know how they go about that. But the one thing that sucks the most – yeah, it sucks that this is going to be separate. Maybe they can work something out in the future. I don't think Sony's really being dickbags in all this. I really think this is about greed. And Disney's not really being realistic when it comes down to that. I wouldn't do that. I don't think anyone would fucking do that type of – like if, if you interpret it to another type of business and you get your mindset out of just being a fanboy for fucking Disney, you wouldn't do this. And the same guys that were asking for the heads of the Marvel people for taking their beloved James Gunn and who cares what the hell he said – but want Sony to just sat and give up fucking Spider-Man for their company. Oh, here's a better one. Marvel should buy out Sony. Bunch of jobs lost. People losing their fucking jobs. No one gives a shit as long as your fucking comic book films are made. Now people are pieces of shit. But what are you going to do? But yeah, Lord Miller. Um, have them in charge of stuff and, and kind of like putting things together. If we have a third movie that John Watts does and then Lauren Miller were to – I know that Andy Serkis is now directing the Venom movie. That sounds really promising. We'll get from that Woody Harrelson as Carnage, please Cassidy. That's fucking awesome. Um, you have Into the Mall, into Spider-Verse. That's already established. There is multiple universes. And remember this. There's multiple platforms of realities. The reason why I know this is when Spider-Man 2099, a play by Oscar Isaac, I should say. All the Spider characters, doesn't matter if it was Nicolas Cage or Spider-Man Noir, Haley Steinfeld, which is Kane's favorite uh, actress of all time, uh, Haley Steinfeld as Gwen Stacy, um, or 
Shamik Moore as uh, Miles Morales, they all picked real actors to play them. But like I said, the ending credit scene where Oscar uh, Spider-Man 2099 goes to that one universe and it's him and Spider-Man pointing at each other constantly. Different animation. So I'm just saying, if they did something in there where at the end of it they were in a live-action setting being played by those set actors and started a multiverse, which is something that Spider-Man's always been kind of a part of, you know. He's always had these, uh, these stories, whether it be on the video games or in the comic books, where he meets these different alternative versions of himself. If you give us a movie where you have Miles and Gwen meet Peter, played by Tom Holland, and maybe even throw in Eddie Brock Venom in there, and they do whatever, you know, that's a very cool concept. Another one that I thought was interesting um, that I'm not really, really sure if it would work, but hear me out. You have this happen, and then it shuts up another movie where the Sinister Six is, is cut loose across the multiverse. And it takes Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man, Tom McGuire's Spider-Man, Shamik Moore's Spider-Man, uh, Tom Holland's Spider-Man, Venom, and Spider-Gwen to take on the Sinister Six. And if you wanted to, if you look at the Sinister Six, they originally were Vulture, Electro, Dr. Octopus, Sandman, uh, Craven the Hunter, and I am forgetting someone. All right, I got the Dr. Octopus. I got Electro. Oh, no, I got Vulture. Oh, Mysterio. So I don't believe Mysterio's dead. I just don't. He's a master of manipulating reality, so I think that he could get away from that. Um I mean, you already have all the actors already cast. Sandman's the only one. He kind of dried up at the end of Spider-Man 3, but what I'm saying is, even though you saw Alfred Molina's, who's going to fucking play a Doc Ock better than Alfred? And even though you saw him come down, I mean, it could be another universes who has the same guy. There's so many ways they can go about this, but Alfred Molina as Doc Ock, uh, maybe you don't have Sandman. You can bring in Green Goblin or Carnage into there to be that sixth member. Or you can bring back Sandman. I, I forgot what the actor's name is. He was in Sideways. He's a good actor, but I'm pretty sure Sandman died. So did fucking Doc Ock. Who gives a shit? You know what I'm saying. Electro. Let Jamie Fox bring redemption to the character of Electro. Let another director, like Lord and Miller, really make him better. And let Jamie Fox have a good performance. I would be down for that. I really would. Maybe some wouldn't. But then also you have Mysterio with Chick Gyllenhaal. And then you also have like I said, Michael Keaton with Vulture. I mean, that's pretty much all of them. So you can jump on that, and that would be kind of cool. There's the lizard that was also part of Amazing Spider-Man's universe. You could do something kind of cool where Tobey Maguire is Tobey Maguire, but after the events of Amazing Spider-Man 2, maybe the clone thing happened. Maybe Jackal came around, and Gwen Stacy was cloned, and it fucked with Peter, and this is Ben Riley, Or is it Peter? We don't know. But it's Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield always seemed like the 90s Spider-Man, the one that we all knew uh, from the animated series and from the comic books back then that went through all this. So it would be cool if you had those versions. And maybe I'm thinking too much, but if this is all Sony has to play with and they have money now 
to mess with just this, I think this is actually a smart idea to kind of like start bringing the different aspects within your universe. Craven's the other person. He needs to be cast. We need to have the last hunt. I don't know. Uh, Tom Holland obviously is, makes the most sense, but we have to do some stuff within this. And yeah, when it gets back to it, I don't think this is really being fair. I think that they were asking for way more. And um, I thought 3070 was a really, really good counter offer. Um, but apparently it's not. I'm hoping that cooler heads prevail. I wish they would have stated something. But why don't we talk about D23? And uh, I lost the page that I had set up. Ah, well, let's see. The big ones. Uh I mean, Star Wars. I am so looking forward to The Mandalorian. Just amazing stuff. I've, I've been a big fan of Pedro Pascal since been playing the Viper, obviously, in Game of Thrones. Trailer looked incredible, old cinematic, reminded me of the original trilogy in, 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 in concept, which I think that, that um, is it Florian? I forgot the name of the director of the first episode that did a lot of stuff for Clone Wars, or, or maybe it was um, Rebels. But anyways, uh, him and Favreau have a really, really cool concept for this, and I'm, I'm happy that Favreau was able to take something that he's been working on and turn it into a cool concept, but I am also looking forward to Obi Wan. I don't know. I don't remember how many episodes. I think it's eight, but a mini series. We get the story of Obi Wan from three. I don't know if it's going to go all the way to four, but just finding out that background, it's going to be awesome, and I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, I love you and McGregor hearing that he was so into it, and that after he came out and they made the announcement, he said, "Hey, Captain Kennedy, ask me." if I'm going to play Obi-Wan Kenobi. Because think about this. Ewan's been asked this by a million different people from a million different outlets, and every time he's had to say, I have no idea, and this has been going on for a while. So apparently this has been greenlit for a minute. So he's been lying to people for like a little while. He's got to. So she asked him, Ewan, are you going to play Obi-Wan Kenobi? And he stopped and said, yes. So excited. I can't wait to see him come back. One of the really redeeming factors of the prequels, if you will. Um, you know, you can throw Darth Maul in that. You can throw him somewhat interacting with, with, with Vader, protecting Luke as a baby. Uh, if you want to throw Mara Jade into it, you know, there's, there's lots of different ways that you can go about it. So excited about that. Excited about the new Star Wars, Rise of Skywalker. Love seeing Rey with her 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 you know, her Sith cloak, it looked like. There's all this talk about her being a clone, and I don't know. It's it's uh, it's very interesting. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I love that Palpatine is coming into this. Damn, I haven't told you the story of Darth Plagueis the Wise, young Skywalker. All right, that's it. But, yeah, just uh, everything that they're going for. <laughs> was the Marvel stuff, and probably more so the television-related things. Now, I think that if you want a better observation or, or, or listen, they go more in-depth on uh, Geek Vibes Live, so I would definitely check that out. But, you know, just everything that they announced 
23 for Marvel between this weird sitcom. It's like WandaVision's going to be Wanda creating in her head this perfect Dick Van Dyke-like show. I'm assuming maybe she watched when she was younger um, and it being like a sitcom like that. But I feel like it's going to have a Legion-like feel to it where reality is going to fucking – it's going to come to reality and it's going to mess with her. And this is going to be very much a position to the house of them where she basically manipulated reality to being her liking. So I'm very, very interested. Found out Black Panther is definitely coming out. I think it's 2022. I don't have the announcements directly in front of me. But that's awesome. Yeah, it's, no, no, yeah, it's uh, 2022, May 6th. It's a long time from now. Internals. Found out Kit Harrington is going to be playing uh, Dane Whiteman. I, or, his first name is Dane. That's what matters. And he's a Black Knight, and he's one of my favorite random 90s Marvel characters that was part of the Avengers for a long fucking time. I think he had a lightsaber at one point. He's awesome. So that's awesome and cool. Uh, They showed a little bit of Black Widow. I'm looking forward to it, finding out that it seems like David Harbour is a father figure or maybe her actual father, that the other Black Widow is her sister, and she's the girl who played Paige in Fighting With My Family. So I'm very much looking forward to this, and this is going to be pretty much after Civil War of Black I don't know much about information about the Taskmaster or what they're doing with that, but very, very interesting nonetheless. Um, I'm trying to think of like the other animated stuff. Uh, Anthony Mackie may have known that Falcon is going to go still by Falcon. He's not going to be called Captain America, which is interesting. Um kind of saw them going that way like he's still got the outfit and everything but that's who he is as falcon who steve is as captain america so all right whatever uh and then we found out that she hulk miss marvel and moon knight are all game shows on disney plus that's pretty damn exciting it's marvel Kabla khan i believe uh first pakistani or maybe is an indian based superhero either way cool concept Really great for kids. Very popular character among kids. You know, I had, obviously, Spider-Man, but I also had Static and a lot of cool characters. Dick Grayson, to an extent, where you could kind of latch onto him and pretend like you were the kid playing with all the other bigger superheroes. Um, so I think that, um, you know, Miss Marvel is kind of that. She-Hulk, telling you, I don't care if she was on the fucking Defenders. I don't even know what the hell is going to happen with that. I want Rosario Dawson to play She-Hulk. I think she would be great. Throwing that in there. I think um, Bustle agrees with me. He's got some great art about that. Um, oh, and Sir uh, Turtles. That was another person named for that. Surprise, so often said Hercules, since Black Knight is definitely, from my understanding, non-eternal. Either is Hercules, but they, they were rumoring him being involved with it. And then Moon Knight. Remy Malik needs to play fucking Moon Knight. I'm not kidding now. I could say ben, ben Foster would be cool. You need someone that can uh, do multiple things. James McAvoy is another one because it's split. Because Moon Knight's kind of a head case. So, very interesting. Uh, very excited. Uh, sucks with the whole Spider-Man stuff. I think something can still work out. I don't know if it's going to be anytime soon. But either way, with Lord Miller working with Sony... I think they're going to be probably approached to take on Spider-Man more head-on. And I think they'll be able to create some really cool stuff interacting with all these other properties. 
So I think Sony's fine. I don't blame them for not wanting to go along with Marvel for their deal. But I also don't mind Marvel since they brought Sony to dance to fucking break their balls a bit. I think they did a little bit too much, but hey, what are you going to do? It's not Kevin Feige who's making these decisions. So you got to go by the big bosses, and that's the decisions that were made. Well, anyways, guys, i got to start watching uh, what you call Monday Night Raw, 60 Minutes Pass. But I hope you enjoyed the interview with Ernie. I hope that you enjoyed the news. We'll be talking about some more wrestling stuff on Wednesday, 7 p.m., Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Uh, definitely check out Geek Vibes Live this next Sunday. we got Top 10. we got Geeks and Grain. we got so many shows. Check them out. we got a new hockey show that my co-host, Christopher Brother Ray Patton, does. Uh, definitely check that out. It's all on the website, gvnation.com or geekvibesnation.com. The GV stands for Geek Vibes. You put that in, we got news uh, from Tia and all of our amazing writers that we go over for Star Wars, comic books, uh, video games sometimes, wrestling, and then also has all of our podcasts, all of the uh, audio versions for iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, SoundCloud, and links to our social media, whether it be Geek Fives Nation on Twitter, on Instagram, or on Facebook. Search Facebook, find me, have a conversation. Let's talk about some stuff. And, you know, just just do your thing, guys. As always, let the geek vibes be with you. And have a really wonderful evening. What? Huh? What, 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 what? What? All right, peace out.